Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, good morning. My name is Andrew Brown. I'm the director of youth ministry here at the church, but I want to start by dismissing the children. You guys can go. I got it. I was worried about forgetting that, but I didn't, so there we go. <laughs> Today we're going to be continuing a series on the book of James entitled The Undivided Life. We've been working our way through this book section by section every time I preach. And this morning we're going to be in chapter 3 verses 1 through 11 which focuses on our speech. And that lines up really well for today because one of the main things that we celebrate during Independence Day is the freedom of speech. In this country, we have the freedom to express our opinions and beliefs without government interference or regulation. For the most part, we can say what we want to say without fear of external restrictions. And while this is worthy of celebration, freedom of speech is something that we do want to lift up and and be thankful for, We must also be clear that not all restrictions on our speech are a bad thing. In fact, there is a restriction on our freedom of speech that is both necessary and good. But this restriction comes not from an external source, but from an internal one. The Apostle James, he says it like this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is is worthless. So this means the bridling of our tongue, the restriction of our speech is just as important as the freedom of our speech. According to James, if you can't control what comes out of your mouth, then your faith is worthless. It's it's not real. It's not the type of faith that will actually save you. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time examining our speech, looking at uh, the way we use our words. And what we're going to see is that we need to understand four things about our words if we're going to grow in our ability to control our tongues. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me now to the book of James. Again, I said we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Now, if you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring one, there should be one in the um, chair in front of you. It's a little paperback Bible, and the passage we're looking at today is on page 587. So if you have that, you can flip there. But I'm going to ask now that you stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read 3, 1 through 11. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come now and bless the preaching of your word, that you would do things that only your spirit can do in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing that we must understand about our words is that our words are important. Your words are important. And we see this in verse 1 there. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. When I taught this passage in youth group a few years back, I told the students on Monday morning to go up to their teacher and say, hey, the Bible says not many of you should be teachers, so what makes you so special? Um, I'm not sure any of them actually did that, um, and I, I hope they didn't because I said it in jest, because clearly that is not what this verse is talking about. It's not saying that people shouldn't become school teachers or that you shouldn't teach your children or that you shouldn't teach a trade or something like that. It's not even saying that you shouldn't teach the Bible to your neighbor. What it is saying here is that not many of you should become full-time Bible teachers. Not many of you should make a career out of teaching the Bible. This is a serious business to teach from God's Word. Teaching a people about the Lord is not something we should ever take lightly. Francis Chan, he says this about this subject. We live in a day and an age when everyone wants to be the teacher. Everyone wants to be the one that gives advice. Everyone wants to be the expert. And James is saying, are you sure you want to do that? Because God is going to judge you more harshly. Teachers of the word will be judged with greater strictness. Do you ever have that teacher in school who you felt like graded your paper a little bit harder than other people's papers, that they were almost using a a different standard, almost a different rubric for you? Well, that's what God says he is doing with pastors, with those who regularly teach the Bible. He examines their words with extra attention. It's almost like God has a microscope, you know, a magnifying glass, and he's he's looking over our words, going over them several times. And so what this means is that this passage is first and foremost a warning to people like myself, to people like Pastor Brian, like Pastor Bob. But If you're not a pastor, it doesn't mean you're off the hook here either. Think about it. It says, pastors' words will be judged with greater strictness. So that means then that everyone else's words will be judged with regular strictness. And this is exactly what Jesus himself says in Matthew 12. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified 
and by your words you will be condemned. So according to Jesus, every single thing we say matters. And we say a lot of stuff, some of us more than others. I um, saw a study once that said the average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. One-fifth of their life talking. If you put your words into print, one day's worth of speaking would be about a 50-page book. And so that means a year you'd have about an 18,000-page book just from the words that you say on a daily basis. There is so many things coming out of our mouth. And the crazy thing about this verse is that God remembers every single one of them. And one day, we're going to be judged for every single one of them. I don't think that's just a crazy thought. I think that's kind of a, a scary thought, if you really think about it. And it means that it's not just what you say at church that matters. It's not just what you say at Bible study that matters. It's what you say when you're around your friends. It's what you uh, say when you speak or write into social media. It's how you respond to your boss or your coach when they yell at you. It's what you say about other people behind their backs. Every word matters and every word will be judged. I used to work at a, another church before this, and we, had, we lived in the parsonage that was right next to the church, literally across the parking lot, very, very short distance. And sometimes in the morning, I would get mic'd up to preach uh, on a day, and then I would remember I needed to run home to grab something. And so I'd go home, and the mic is already on, and the mic would come into the sanctuary. And it, and it occurred to me, like, if this thing's on right now, Everyone in the sanctuary is going to hear everything I say to my children, to my wife, how I'm, how I'm just speaking. And so I thought, I need to be really precise with my words. I need to be careful with what I'm saying because someone else is going to hear these things. This is just a microcosm of the way the world actually is. God hears you. You have a microphone into his presence. He hears every single thing you say. And aren't, isn't God infinitely more important than the people in the church? What you say, isn't he going to judge you more strictly than the people in the church? So I just think that's really helpful to, to get in our minds that that's the way our words are. They're all broadcast to the Lord, and we will be judged by them. So everything we say is important. Secondly, though, your words are not only important, they are also guiding. Your words are guiding. Words can be like a steering wheel for our bodies. It seems that wherever your words go, your body often follows behind. And we see this idea in verses 3 through 5 there. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member and boasts great things. So what James is saying here is that even though our tongues are a relatively small part of our bodies, they still exert a great influence over everything we do. They're like the rudder of a ship, you know, that controls this giant machine. Or they're like the bit, the metal bar that's put into the mouth of a horse. A pastor named Kent Hughes, he really describes the situation well. He says, the horse is an awesomely powerful animal. 
take 550 pounds, as much as a huffing and puffing Olympic heavyweight lifter can hoist overhead. Set it on a horse's back, and it will barely snort as it stands breathing easily under the burden. That same horse, unburdened, can sprint a quarter mile in about 25 seconds. A horse is a half a ton of raw power. Yet place a bridle and a bit in its mouth and a hundred-pound child on its back who knows what she is doing, and the animal can literally be made to dance. There is a strange and powerful connection between what we say and what we believe and therefore what we do. Jesus talks about this connection himself in Matthew 12. He says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our words, this is what Jesus is saying, our words frequently follow our hearts. And that means when your heart is full of anger, then typically your words will follow. When your heart is full of bitterness, then typically bitter words are going to come out of your mouth. But I think what's interesting in James here, I think James actually saying the reverse can also be true. So heart to mouth is the way we usually think, but I also think it can be the reverse. Our hearts can sometimes follow our words. If you speak kindness to someone, even when you don't feel it, occasionally your heart will follow your tongue. I'm sure many of us have experienced this in worship. I remember one day when I was overseas, there was, we were at this conference, and you know, they would have worship all day, and I remember going to the evening session, and I was just very, very exhausted. And it was like, the last thing I want to do right now is sing, and yet, when I started praising the Lord, my heart just kind of melted. It was almost like the words of life that were coming out of my mouth were commanding my heart to follow and my heart did follow. My heart followed my tongue. Now, it doesn't always work like that, and I'm not arguing that you should just say whatever's right and lie about what's going on in your heart. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying we've got to be aware of this connection, this connection between our tongue and our hearts, and we've got to be able to see that it's a two-way street. And so let me suggest here just one practical way to kind of help you guide your heart through your tongue. And I think one of the most powerful ways of doing this is by preaching the gospel to yourself on a daily basis. And I even mean speaking out loud words to yourself. Preach to yourself about God's holiness, about his glory, about how far you fall short of his expectations. Confess your sins out loud with your words but then preach to yourself about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection in your place, on your behalf. And then don't stop there. Preach to yourself about the Spirit's presence in your life and his power to enable you to overcome sin. And then preach to yourself about the hope of Christ's return and about the future home you have with him. Let the gospel shape the words that are coming out of your mouth. And oftentimes, what you'll start to feel is that the gospel is shaping your heart as well. And that's kind of the point that James is making here. If you can control the tongue, then you can control the whole body. After all, think about it. If the bit is put in the horse's mouth, why is it put there? It's put there in order to obey its rider. The rider is the one who's guiding the horse. The same with the ship. The rudder turns the ship, but it turns the ship wherever the pilot directs. Our tongues should not be controlling us. We should be controlling and guiding them. So your words are important. Your words are guiding. 
But your words are also powerful. Your words are powerful. We see this in verses 5 through 8. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So James here compares our tongues to a fire. And what does a fire do when it's left unattended? You know, it grows and it destroys everything in its path. I'm sure you've seen pictures over the last few years of the forest fires happening out west. They're just horrific to look at. And that's what James is saying our words are like. He compares our words to a forest fire. That's what our tongues are capable of. Our words can utterly destroy. They can break the strongest relationship. They can sink people into depression. They can even cause someone to take their life all because of what someone said. Our words are incredibly powerful. And just like a forest fire, though, uh, the destructive power of our words often starts very small. It's often just one little thing we say, one little spark of criticism, one little word of anger, one little word of sarcasm, and that's all it takes, and the fire begins to grow. There's something really interesting to notice about this passage here, about our words. Look at verse 6 there. It says, The tongue is set amongst our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The fire and destruction of our words is set ablaze by hell. And that means our words can be used by Satan. So think of Jesus when he rebukes Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. It's because the words that Peter was speaking were the same as the words that Satan wanted to say. He wanted to avoid the cross. And so what this means is that when our words are like Satan's, when they're being used by Satan, our words are bringing about a taste of hell on earth. So think about that. Your words can either make earth more like heaven or more like hell. Whenever you use your words to complain, to boast, to lie, to use the Lord's name in vain, to make fun of other people, to be selfish, these things are bringing about hell on earth. And not just hell for other people. It's hell for you too. That's what verse 6 says, straining your whole body, setting on fire the entire course of your life. Your words don't just destroy others, they destroy you as well. We've all heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We all know that that's not true. Bones can be set and scars can be healed. Um, But the words, the scars from words can last a lifetime. Words do hurt me. Now, I used to hear that phrase, though, and always think only about how other people's words hurt me. You said something to me, and that hurt me, and that scarred me. It never dawned on me that my own words, the things that are coming out of my mouth, they could also be the things that scar me, that could hurt me just as much as other people's words. Let me give you an example of this. The other day I was talking to a friend about something and I had this kind of 
You've surely had this as well. Sudden and, and seemingly irresistible desire or urge to say something good about that, that I had done, you know? Something that, that exalted me and lifted me up, put me in a really good light. And I had that urge to say that. And I realized then that these words, they didn't necessarily, if I said them, they didn't hurt my friend. It doesn't hurt my friend to boast about my own life. But it does hurt me. These words kind of seep into me. They fill me with a sense of pride and self-admiration. And the Lord convicted me, and he showed me that my own words can destroy me just as much as other people's. And this is exactly what Jesus says. This is no different than what the rest of the Bible says. Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. It's not what comes into my ears, but what comes out of my mouth That's what defiles, that's what destroys me. And that's why in verse 8 there, James says that our words are like a deadly poison. Our words are like poison. And a helpful way to think about this for me is to think about smoking cigarettes. Cigarettes are, are full of poison. And the more you smoke, the more poison you're allowing into yourself. But also, when you smoke and other people are around, you're, you're, you're poisoning them as well. And that's what James is saying our words can be like. And so maybe just for you, the next time you are saying something that you know you shouldn't be saying, maybe just visualize that. As I'm saying these words, or I'm about to say these words, this is like smoke. I'm poisoning the people that are about to hear this, and I'm poisoning myself. I'm leading to a slow death myself as well. So our words can be incredibly powerful weapon of destruction, incredibly powerful tool of destruction. But thankfully, the flip side is also true here as well. Our words can be an incredibly powerful tool of redemption and life. Words can bring about a taste of hell, but they can also bring about a taste of heaven. When our words are filled with goodness kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, when our words are under control, our words can bring life to ourselves and to those around us. Surely we've all experienced the the joy and the love that kind of fills your heart when you hear a well-spoken word of encouragement. Or think about the, the goodness and the change that comes about in the world through words of prayer or words of evangelism, literally speaking light into darkness. Our words are incredibly powerful. The question is, what will we do with that power? So your words are important. Your words are guiding. Your words are powerful. And lastly, your words are revealing. Your words are revealing. We're going to look at this from verses 9 through 12. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Your words reveal your hearts. And if you can sing praises to God here on Sunday morning at church, but then curse, belittle, make fun of people made in God's image from Monday to Saturday, then something is awry, something is wrong with your heart. 
the fruit of your mouth is revealing the root of your heart. And that's what James is talking about there in verses 11 through 12. Just as fresh water can't come from a saltwater spring, an olive tree can't, and olives can't come from a fig tree, so words of hell should not be coming from children of heaven. So just consider your words for a second. Think about your words. What do they tell you about your heart? What do they reveal about your heart? Maybe just think about, you know, what you've said today, what you've said this week. What are they revealing? Do your words sound like someone who've, who's been born again? Sound like someone who is a child of heaven? Do your words sound no different than an unbeliever? Are your words filled with joy, hope, peace? Do they pour forth the gospel from your lips? Or are your words filled with fear and the backbiting of the world? Do your words build people up or do your words tear people down? Now, to be clear here, this isn't saying that you need to be perfect. This isn't saying that your words must be perfect. You're never going to gain complete mastery over your tongue. For the rest of your life, you're going to say wrong, hurtful, stupid, and sinful things. And that's why James wrote verse 2. I'm very thankful for verse 2. Here's what he says. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I'm assuming no one here is perfect. It's just my assumption. Um, We all stumble in what we say. And so maybe the most important thing that our words reveal about us is that we need a Savior. We need someone to deliver us from our inability to control our tongues. And thankfully, what we see in the gospel is that God in his mercy has sent us a Savior in his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only person on earth who never sinned with his words. He is the only person who's ever lived who had complete control of his tongue. And he is the only one who can save us from the judgment that we deserve. If you just think about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and all that he spoke with those things. Just look, Isaiah 53 verse 9 says about Jesus, prophesies about him, there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus in life always spoke the truth. He always spoke the right word at the right time. But then his death, he also spoke in a sense. Listen to Hebrews 10, 24. He is the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of of Abel. When Abel died, his blood called out for vengeance, called out for justice. But when Jesus dies, his blood calls out for mercy. He speaks of forgiveness and reconciliation through his death. And then to go on, after Jesus dies and he's raised from the grave and he goes to ascends to be with the Father, he continues to speak. Listen of his resurrection life. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Jesus lives forever today to speak on our behalf. We have an advocate before the throne of God who continually uses his words in our defense. If the Holy Spirit has been convicting you this morning of the way you're using your words, the answer is not to just try harder. It's not to make a promise that you're not going to cuss or you're going to stop gossiping or you're going to stop being mean to other people. The answer is Jesus. 
The answer is to use your words and to call out to him. Use your words and ask him for mercy. Use your words to plead with him the gospel and believe the promise of his word. Here's what he says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So on this Independence Day, use your God-given freedom of speech to declare that Jesus is Lord and to praise God for the amazing grace he gave to sinners like you and me. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for Jesus. There's no hope without him. Lord, we're also so grateful for your spirit who empowers us to use words to bring about heaven on earth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to to gain control of the things we say and that we would be your representatives and your ambassadors on this earth, that we are bringing life and redemption and we're speaking words of truth. Lord, work that in us today and for the rest of our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.